This whole operation was your idea. Hello, welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. I'm Roger. Uh, apparently I'm Declan. And this is the podcast where we each write a song in the space of a week and talk about how we wrote those songs. Hello, Declan. Hello. How's it hanging? Um, it, hanging good? I'm, I'm, I'm alive? <laughs> Um, I didn't expect this line of questioning on the show. <laughs> line of questioning. <laughs> yeah, it's not how we start. It's how we start every single episode. <laughs> yes, me. How was it hanging? I can't take this interrogation. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, he wants to know how I am. The scandal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm fine. I'm alive. Uh, I'm functioning, and I have a song. Uh, how about yourself? Do all of these things apply to you as well? All three of them, yeah. Um, oh, fan dabby dozy. We both have songs. Um, I finished mine on um, uh, what do you call it? Sunday, as as I often do, as we often do. I think we yep. both do that quite a it, lot. It's become the default thing. Uh, I think I finished mine like an hour before you, though. So yes, I got in there first. Oh, I beat God. you for once. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a week off work this week, so I'm. Because we're recording on Tuesday right now, we got from Monday to Sunday to to write. I'm hoping to do it on a weekday this week, but don't hold your breath. Literally an hour after this call, I'm going to get a message through saying, "Oh, I've already finished." It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's my dream to one day send you my um my demo for this week's podcast, and also a message saying I've finished next week's song too. But that has not happened yet. You've uh you finished one before we recorded the previous podcast before. I remember that. Uh, I think it was when we were down in Cornwall recording an episode um, back in the before times, uh, which I was I was mad at you that week. I was so <laughs> mad. <laughs> but do you remember that time I sort of made up for that um, that punctuality with um, finishing a song in the car ride over to your house. <laughs> I mean, I've wiped that one from my memory, but now I shall cherish this memory as if I had it at the time. I shall reminisce on it with fondness. Um, but as far as songs this week, we've got obviously a song each. Um, we take it in turns as to who goes first uh, to play their song. And we're going to listen to your song first, Declan, this week. Um, ah. Tell us about it. Tell us all about it. Tell it all about the song. Actually, not all. I was going to say, we won't have anything for later in the show then, will we? Um, The song this week is called Florence Foster Jenkins. And... uh, (laughs) 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 What's up, Reggie? I can't do Scooby-Doo voice. Um, But, uh, yeah, it goes like this. Florence Foster Jenkins is the talk of the town The heiress turned to sing has her own true sound I wonder does she know that she is a clown Of this New York scene I heard she played piano and she played it well no more, so far as I can tell She screams into the night just like a broken bell She lives in her dreams As I spread my wings and hit the stage I pause 
yours as the ivory start to play You can't say that I can't try to cut my flight You can laugh all you want and indeed you might But you can never say that I didn't even try And that's alright Foster Jenkins has divorced herself From musical notation and awareness self She keeps them all in stitches Does she know herself? Does she laugh along? Push beyond her prowess and for all to see Voices all our worries and she sets us free Our shows are never empty and that's all you need Does she laugh along? As I spread my wings and hit the stage I pause as the ivory start to play you can't say that I can't try to cut my flight You can laugh all you want and indeed you might But you can never say that I didn't even try And that's alright Cool. So that was uh, Florence Foster Jenkins' uh, Declan song, episode 103 on the Weekly Song Podcast. Uh, don't know why I said that, but I've never done that before. Anyway, um, I, I really like that, bud. <laughs> In case you forgot which one, if you're having a binge and you don't realise how long you've been without <laughs> yes, taking a break. I can just picture somebody with like 10 days like uh, facial hair growth, just like necking energy drinks. Uh, but no, I, I really like that. That's a really solid song um i was saying to you while we listened to it the chorus is just i really love the chorus it's just it's got so much potential but it also works so well as an acoustic song um yeah love it who's florence foster jenkins okay florence foster jenkins is actually a real person uh Mm -hmm. she was a new york socialite who is regarded as one of the worst singers to have ever graced the planet earth uh, she was apparently she had quite a cult following uh, in the years up to 1940, uh, where like people would come to her shows because she was so bad. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, I think there's actually a, like a few clips that still survive of her singing. There's not much. Uh, I'm going to force you to edit one in here. But, uh, yeah, she had this cult following uh, because she was so bad. And there's been this debate ever since whether she was truly in on it or not. Like, there were some performances in, I think, 1944, Citation Needed, where, um, like, essentially what would be modern-day trolls went to the audience and, uh, like, actually 
like made it clear that they were only there because she was terrible. Oh, poor woman. But uh, she died about a week later, I think. Um, wow. Like there's there was sort of a debate whether she was in on the joke, as it were. And one of the strongest pieces of evidence in favour of it was this quote, People can tell me that I couldn't sing, but no one can tell me that I didn't sing. I'm not sure I understand uh, that. Well, the way I kind of read it, like, yes, you can say that I have no singing ability, but you can't say that I didn't get up there and give it a go. Right, yes, I like that a lot. And I get that from your lyrics too, like, hey, at least I tried sort of thing. Yeah, that's kind of where the key lyrical idea came from it like but the lyrics in the cause like came from two really distinct paths this week that kind of met in the middle on sunday so i will get to the music in a second but uh once i had the music for it the first thing i wrote was the chorus which is from what i would perceive as florence's perception uh, like as i spread my wings and hit the stage i pause as the ivory start to play uh, which is kind of, you've got, there's this famous image of her with like, because she used to make her own sets and costumes, she used to sing like things from operettas. So there's this famous photo of her with um, like some wings that she made herself, like she, posing dramatically. Uh, and she used to be just accompanied by a piano player on the stage who always had to try and adapt to like her bad phrasing and her bad pitch. Oh, wow. Um, and then the final three lines that so you can say that I can't try to cut my flight you can laugh all you want and indeed you might but you can never say that I didn't even try and that's alright that's basically just a reworking of that quote because that, that's kind of what kept going around my mind it's just like you know uh, good for her as it were like um, if she found success in whatever ways that she found it and you know at least she tried at least she did something at least, at least she's got a Wikipedia page that I can quickly skim on Saturday night to get all the relevant facts. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I like what you said in the lyrics. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but something along the lines of, you know, uh, the shows were always packed out and that's all that mattered sort of thing. Yeah, like that's kind of... Once I'd got the chorus down, I was debating like whether it needed like a bridge or something and I thought, no, it really just needs two sets of verses, but like from the audience perspective, but like the view shifting slightly. Because hmm. uh, the first one is kind of like the headlines version, like what, you know, the masses would say when you first heard that there was this really bad singer, like um, I heard you play piano and she played it well, but she doesn't play anymore. She just screams into the night like a broken bell, which is an accidental, uh, <laughs> accidental double meaning there, like broken bell, like a broken bell doesn't ring clearly and it sounds terrible, but also like bell as in, like you know, um, you know, uh, a name you might give like a classy woman. So it's just like, oh, okay, right, <laughs> that fits. Because I, because I think she used to play piano, but I would need to go and research this again. But there was something that happened that meant she couldn't anymore. Okay, right. Uh, so that's why she turned to singing. And then like her friends used to, they knew that she was bad, but she they sort of dressed it up in euphemisms. Like she's got this very distinctive sound, like she's paving her own path and kind of thing. She's unique. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like right. um, uh, the heiress turned to sing has her own true sound. That's kind of like what her friends might have said that someone might be passing along secondhand. Uh, does she know that she's a clown of this New York scene? When it gets to... Versus three. Sorry, I am rambling on about the lyrics a lot this no, week. No, this is um, really interesting. I like this. Uh, versus three and four. You, 
I imagine like being set later on in her life when she is actually having like successful audiences turn up to her shows and everything. Mm. Uh, in fact, the first part, the third verse is actually lifted from a quote from one of the 1940 shows. Like uh, the quote goes something like, Florence Foster Jenkins has succeeded. Uh, no other living musician has successfully divorced themselves from musical notation. So, uh, so with so much gusto, as it were. Oh, wow. Can, can I just ask quickly about her and her music? Because I'm completely unfamiliar, apart from what you've told me. Did she do kind of quite conventional music, but people said she sang badly? Or was it kind of like almost like art music, like a la Yoko Ono or something? Uh, she, uh, it was a bit early for that kind of thing. Uh, she was singing like classical operettas. Oh, okay. I see. But, but she was singing far beyond what she had the ability to sing. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so... Like, I think one of the remaining uh, audio clips is one of Mozart's operators, and you can hear that it's just wrong. Like, for every note that's hit correctly, there's one that's way off pitch, and there's bits that are rushed and sped up and slowed down and everything. Like, so essentially, she was a covers artist, if you can call covering classical music covers. Um, <laughs> so, like, people knew how it should sound, and she wasn't, like, performing it technically correct. Uh, but she had um, quite famous people going to her shows. Like Cole Porter apparently used to go to her shows. He ha- used to have to like bang his cane into his foot so that he didn't laugh. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but then that's kind of where I sort of have the audience turning. In vo- I'm talking like a dramatic weirdo here. But like where you have the audience turning slightly in the final verse. Uh, like she voices all our worries and she sets us free. Like at least we know we're not that bad. Her shows are never empty, and it's all you need. Like you said, like that's kind of she's attaining some measure of success, mm. even if like it's a mean spirited success. She has made something of herself. Whereas in the first verse, they're calling her a clown, saying, "Oh, she lives in her head." The second set of verses are going like, "Does she actually know about this?" Which right. I can't by accident. The um, the chorus I think works very well. Either if it's someone who believes they are the best singer in the world, or if it's someone who knows that they're a terrible singer and they just enjoy performing. Okay. Um, so, I mean, a couple of questions come to mind, lyrically speaking. Uh, so, have you known about Florence Foster Jenkins for ages, or did you like discover her this week and then thought, I've got to write a song? And then I suppose the second part of that would be, um, I, you know, I really like your voice, but you've said in the past that you're not a big fan of your own voice. Did that factor into like any metaphors in the lyrics or anything um, or anything like that? Um, I, well, to answer the first part of that first, I haven't known about her for long. I only heard about her this week. Um, I was watching a video essay by ContraPoints, a video essay I think is called Cringe. And she's mentioned there as kind of like... Uh, early example of like an audience intentionally cringing at an artist. Ah, okay. But uh, and so like the it was that big quote like um you know you can say that I couldn't sing but you can't say that I didn't sing. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that stuck in my head. I love which that. I thought, which I thought right that has to make it into a song somehow. As for the second part of that, yes, I do hate my own voice. Um, I it's kind of. I don't think it is a literal metaphor. Um, I don't think... I'm the one who bloody wrote it. I should know. But um, (laughs) 
I think there's truth in the idea of the last line where like she voices all our worries and she sets us free, meaning she is so bad, at least we know we're not that bad. Okay, sure. But then that so there's that element that you can potentially relate to it to, but then I do like that message of like, well you can't say I didn't try. Absolutely. Like apathy will get you nowhere. Like <laughs> you've got Yeah, I know why you're laughing. Um if you at least make an effort, at least you can say that you gave it a go. The worst thing you can do is sit back and do nothing. Because even if you get laughed off the stage, then you were braver than the person who was laughing at you who's never tried in their life. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously, just on a personal note, I can relate hugely. I, I read this thing recently that said, it really stuck with me. It was like, uh, again, from Andrea Stolp, uh, songwriting coach, don't let your perfectionism stop you from ever sharing your songwriting with the world, with people. You know, um, if you think, oh, that could do with more work, then things will just live in your notepad, live on your hard drive. Or if you're a live performer, just kind of live in your head. You'll never get out there on the stage and show your, you know, your perfect imperfection to people to sound a bit corny. But yeah, better mm. to do than not to do. Absolutely. Exactly. And that's kind of... Because the thing I was worried about when I was writing these lyrics is obviously, you know, uh, you're you're writing about a woman who is noted for being terrible and you don't, <laughs> you can very easily, if you just ran through the terribleness of like her singing, said, she couldn't sing on pitch and she was like a hack. <laughs> like if the song was all like that, then obviously it would become this sort of weird, sexist, mean-spirited takedown. So... That's kind of why I wanted to try and root it, or at least root the center around something like, well, yeah, but sod you, I gave it a go. Like, so there's this uplifting, so that you're not just saying she couldn't sing, you're saying she couldn't sing, but she found her own version of success anyway. Absolutely. Which is a subtle but key difference, and I hope I've got that right. Obviously, that's not for me to judge, that's for the listener to judge, but. I think, I mean, in, obviously it's one of those things where now I know more of the context of the song I can comment you know more appropriately but I just think you set such a great tone with the lyrics and even if you don't know who Florence Foster Jenkins is as I didn't before you just told me um, I uh, I just get this feeling of like like I said before like hey at least I tried you know better to do than not to do and I just think that yeah um, that balance is absolutely there um, could I ask as well um did you write the lyrics like after you had music or at the same time or uh I wrote the lyrics after I had the uh like the main bulk of music. Ah. Uh but I had the idea before I started the music. Uh and the way the music started off was I just had this random bit of tune pop into my head. This is like the second week in a row it's happened now. Um like, like the Paul genius McCartney. has touched me. <laughs> Waking up in a dream with yesterday in his head. You got oh, that. Lucky git. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I had this uh, idea, which I recorded on my phone. Go into a different coda for that bit. 
so once I had that, I worked out what the chords for it were on the guitar, and I found out what they were, and I kind of liked how, because of where the notes sat, you ended up having, ended up being E major seven, G sharp minor, and then F sharp minor with a second on it. So you have these bits of suspension in there, which are kind of cool. Mm. Then when it came time to get up to the chorus, uh, the first bit kind of was a wee bit of a challenge to do because I realised I hadn't put the five in there. So five is a nice thing to start a chorus on. So you end up with... I'm skipping a lot of strings, but I'm playing a B on the E string. I am playing a D sharp on the G string and I am playing a G sharp on the B string. So the end result is that you have this implied B with a sixth on it. Oh, nice. Which then you just take the B off the E string and have that be an open E, and then you, you're back to a E major seven. And it all comes full circle. Yeah, and then the second part, I tried putting like a C diminished in there and it didn't quite work. So what it ended up being was just keeping those two notes of G sharp and the uh, D sharp there and putting the C on the top of that. So what you end up is like the C minor augmented kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's not a chord I've used before and I want to use it again. Um, oh, no, I might have to have a go at that as well, actually. That's very cool. Because I knew that it would have been like the B chord, the E chord, a chord and then the like a random chord and then the C sharp minor which that bit of the chorus ends on to go into the second bit mm. but it was finding out what that mystery chord was and when I hit upon the C minor C minor augmented I didn't realize that's what it was at the time I was literally just moving like the bass note up to a C so you had this sort of incremental movement upwards uh, it's just kind of like oh that fits I didn't right. I didn't realize you could play minor augmented I've only ever played major augmented. Because um, cause you can, because it, like, um, it only really affects the fifth, but you never think of it in those terms. No, never. I have never have. That's really interesting. I like that. And then the part of the chorus at the end there is just C sharp, B, A. You can't say... Uh, on those three hits. Uh and then an E, which has got a sixth on it, uh, removed off to a fifth, which is the, um, you know, you can say the one, try to curb my flight, the doo-doo-doo. Um, mm. It's mirrored in the vocal and in the, uh, in the tune, uh, in the backing, as it were. Right. And that's why I ran into an issue with the song, because originally it was a lot higher, but I realised I really wanted... The way I was voicing the chords on the guitar, I was having the third in the top. Uh, and originally, this was in A as opposed to being in E. And voice leading with the third on an F sharp minor would have been playing an A in the top. And I just could not do that. Oh, okay. uh, that, is, that is far too high up for my voice to reach. Mm. Uh, because I'm such a manly baritone, look at me. Um, so I switched all of that down to uh, an E. Uh, I don't know if I'm a baritone, actually. I should probably research that one day before I make these kind of jokes. But I shifted everything... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, shift everything down five semitones to an E, so then that top note becomes uh, an E, which I can manage quite easily. 
Mm. So the end result is that the choruses, the verses feel a little bit low, but then I'm actually up into my like full on register uh, for the choruses, which I help thinks differentiate the like lower mumbling like audience voices in the verses from Florence's voice in uh, the choruses. Oh, absolutely. I think we've spoken about this before, but it's such a cool um, little trick to use, even if you kind of do it um, unconsciously and realise afterwards, to have the chorus be much more urgent in its high-pitched notes, you know, especially because, um, you know, in the chorus you're saying, you know, you can you can laugh, you know, you can say, I did this, but at least I tried. I think that actually, the emotional content of it is carried over far more eloquently with with that high urgency um mm. even whether that's intentional or not i think it works so well thank you um and then the only other musical thing in there is that at the end of the chorus you just go from an a which is a four of the e to a minor four which is an a minor oh yeah love which, that. it's something i don't do very often these days i try and save it for special moments but <laughs> special occasions that yeah <laughs> for, for the good songs you know um but uh i felt this that was kind of it worked in that context yeah uh, it's yeah because you need as much as it's a triumphant statement you kind of need a little bit of melancholy there it's just so cool that you know you know i need this particular emotion here and i know which um which increment of the scale to use and which non-diatonic notes to choose. It's just so cool that your, your palette is that, you know, refined. Oh, trust me, I'm literally just throwing chords at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty, yeah, exactly. But, you know, intuitively um, it works. But yeah, so I got all the music for that, like, written with the tune. And then I wrote the words around that. Because originally I was thinking, like, maybe I'll go back and add a bridge. And then I realised, like, no, the structure of the song really doesn't need it. Mm. Uh, and then that's just basically it. Recorded it to my phone, recorded a version to put on the podcast and sent it to you. It's really good. Um, the The version we've heard on the podcast today is, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, acoustic guitar, bass and vocal? Uh, acoustic guitar, drop D guitar, uh, also acoustic, bass and vocal, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, like I said, um, well, just after we listened to it, I think it works so well acoustic, but... If you were to produce it up a little bit more, um, what sort of direction do you think you go in? I have absolutely no idea. Because um, <laughs> the rock child in me wants to have that chorus be like, you can say what I want, like be like really big. Yeah. But I don't think the tone of the song would suit the subject matter in that regard. Um, I probably would have a distorted electric guitar in there somewhere, but like, um, it's even things like that acoustic riff, like like that could work as an acoustic, but you could also have like an electric funkier style guitar playing that, um, like put a bit more space in the track and get a really good drummer, like, like, um, playing along the groove somewhat more. I just don't know. <laughs> um, but I want to use it for something. Definitely. I, th I think it's just like it's such a strong contender for an album or, you know, single release or what have you down the road. 
I need um, to do a song like full uh, an album full of reference songs like of all my film songs or my historical songs. <laughs> you must have at least a dozen Doctor Who ones too. <laughs> uh no actually I've only really written about Doctor Who in a song once and that was on the podcast and I didn't very much like it. <laughs> oh okay. Well you still got like a number of reference songs like you say <laughs> that would be a good collection. Yeah. Or even a playlist even if they're on different albums just make a playlist of um of your film references and stuff. Yeah. Do you want to play Spot the Reference and go to this playlist? <laughs> See what obsesses my tiny little mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that, that would be a cool way to, to go with that one. Um, but like you say, there's so many different options. Um, you could even go for that sort of like, um, I think it's Queen of Denmark, the song by John Grant, where at the end, it's like acoustic up until the end and then you have like a giant chorus at the end so you kind of have the best of those both hits worlds. on every note like the oh. why don't you give it up to somebody else oh. such a good record that is it's so good yeah for anyone who hasn't heard that definitely check out queen of denmark by john Grant. It's good. Songwriting so good on that record. I know he's annoying, isn't he? He's a git. He's a git. He's uh, he's playing in Bath at the end of the year. We should go. We should. Um, if the situation ends, if we're allowed outside, please, Boris. We just want to go outside. <laughs> we'll be careful. We promise. We'll stay two meters away from each other. <laughs> oh yeah, but um, yeah, really good song. I really like your song this week. Um. Thank I, you. I always like your songs. But this one, I was saying um, to you on Messenger when I first But this heard time it, you don't have to fake it. <laughs> <laughs> you fool. Um, no, I, um, I, I like this sort of like softer side of your songwriting. Um, you often kind of use like uh, different types of chords and stuff. And I really like that. It's cool. Very cool indeed. Thank you. I shall endeavor to be soft more often, you bastard. Um. <laughs> That's, that could be a title right there <laughs> <laughs> Right, I think that's enough time spent talking about terrible singers from the past Let's talk about a fantastic singer in the future Let's talk about terrible singers of the present <laughs> <laughs> Roger, what is your song this week? Okay, um, my song this week is called Help Me Juliet Nice And uh, yes, a uh, bit of a different title this week Um yeah, let's let's take a listen and then I'll try my best to describe it. Well, I could never do what you're doing without me. I'd miss the moments of being alone. But you change my mind when you talk so kind With the sound of your voice when you whisper my name through the phone Who knows if I love you or if I love anybody at all But when I dim my bulb and the nights got cold Well I was hoping that you'd give me a call Stand on my own two feet I wouldn't stand with my back to the wall And you see me here So it's perfectly clear That you can't kick a dog And expect 
him to get you the ball I think that I'm lonely I think I know that I'm hurting a lot I keep my sad eyes searching the same old streets I got to pray I can give it a shot uh, Help me, Juliet The story really doesn't need to end like that Is it safe to assume that the planet is starting to crack? I spend my time running over the same old things I wish I knew how to give it a break For these familiar days are just paving the way For a life in the sun where I give even more than I take I'm caught in a moment I think I know how I'm gonna react Oh, it's a terrible shame to be stuck in a game Where you know that you can't fight back So help me, Juliet The story really doesn't need to end right here Help me, Juliet I think the answer is perfectly clear You gotta help me, Juliet The story really doesn't need to end like that Help me, Juliet is it safe to assume that the planet is starting to crack? Like, I like, I like. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a different one this week because um, I wrote the music first, which I haven't done fully yes, in a while. Yes, you have joined us in the sensible side of songwriting. <laughs> I think what you said last week about like being able to write like a sad set of lyrics on top of a happy song last week actually kind of like wriggled its way into my brain. I was like, that's a good idea. But uh, I didn't kind of end up doing that. Um, but what I did notice um, is that my approach to writing, not just the lyrics, like in terms of the words I was writing, but like the melodies and rhythms I would write on top of an already written piano piece, um, they, were they were completely different to what I would write if I was writing at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It's a, you kind of have like the freedom to be a bit more... Uh, like a bit more experimental... If you're like not having to think about trying to get a tune that fits with the chords at the same time as you're thinking of the words, as you're thinking of everything else that you've got to think about, like it's like the idea of like um, Paul McCartney in the Beatles. Uh, like later on, he used to just play guitar or piano or something in the room with them while they were recording a song, and uh, he would put his bass in afterwards, which is where you get some of the more like wondering like out there bass lines in the later Beatles stuff. Oh, man, I, I love that kind of thing. Because um, when, you, when you do different parts of the process separately, you know, say the songwriting, the tracking of the core instruments, and then something else later, you get to think about all, the, all those three steps individually, because you do them on different days, perhaps, you know? Um, mm. And I so found that with, with the lyrics for this one this week. Because um, normally... I'd be concentrating on just like practically playing the thing, particularly on piano, because I'm a better guitarist than I am a pianist. 
Um, and then if I sit down at the piano, I've kind of got to think like, if I'm going to do like a little like um, clever run or chord change at the end of a verse, I probably shouldn't be singing there. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so with this one, there was a thing of like, okay, I can I can have my little changes. But then the, the main thing that kind of um, was a bit of a revelation for me was extending melodies. So uh, where did I put my little book here? Yeah, the main example of extending a melody here would be on something like that you can't kick a dog and inspect him to get you the ball. It's like it kind of goes all the way through to the one of the following stanza, you know? So in, that kind of comes from listening to a bit of rap music, actually, because I think some of the most... Uh, uh, the, the raps I like the best are the ones where it plays with the bar structure, where like... Yeah, you end up with this cascade of words that keep flowing over into like the next bit of the song. Definitely. And, and that like for me... With this song, it's like, because I wrote the lyrics, I literally sat down with a book, which I, if I'm not writing the music at the same time, I get to just focus on the lyrics like it's, like it's a puzzle almost. Mm. Not only in terms of like fitting the syllables together, um, like that, like with the sort of almost like rap-esque type of thing, but also thinking like, okay, I want this line to make sense with, with the following line. I don't want it to just be sort of like what fits. So I actually took longer on the lyrics this week than I did the music, which... For me, like I say, I, I rarely do that. Hmm. So given the fact that um, we're sort of jumping a little bit ahead here, but uh, given the fact that you spent more time on the lyrics this week, does this feel like, if this is a song that's written about your own feelings and your own experiences, do you feel like it's a more honest approach rather than a more spur-of-the-moment approach? Uh, like, um, do, do you think it's had an effect on what you've been trying to say? Uh, again, I'm aware that we are kind of skipping a couple of steps here. No, no, sure. I um, I was kind of thinking about about that, and um, I think like the name of the song, "Help Me, Juliet," and the chorus, they seem to me. Um, obviously, I don't know anyone called Juliet. Um, it's so fictional and so almost like um, like we were talking at the on the episode one hundred and one, talking about what we wanted to achieve this season in, in our writing, and like it was sort of that pop. Um, more of a pop direction perhaps for some of the songs and Help Me Juliet it just it just fits as like a kind of pop chorus so for me there was no real like um, personal stuff put into the chorus but the verses absolutely um, I think uh, the verses I just I tried to write about myself and my relationship with other people and all that sort of thing so like I say writing sitting down and writing the lyrics separately yeah, I, I think there was definitely more of a sort of, let me try and write something that actually means something to me. But as well as that, try to write something that is um, a, a, has a bit more of a performative element to it. Um, and the reason for that is I was listening to uh, Aerosmith, Aerosmith's first album, and Steven Tyler's just got this mm. amazing, like, attitude, you know? you can, I mean, you can tell, like, Axl Rose and other people were so influenced by his like almost like showing off and i know it like this my song is like a very different beast to like an aerosmith song or something but that sort of seeped in i was like i'm gonna try and write something with a bit more you know jutzpah or something or whatever it's called yeah it's kind of when you talk about the performative thing it's like the thing that really great singers have is that they're not just singing the notes and reading the words off the page and they don't necessarily have to access their own inner darkness they can or like whatever it is that they'd be singing about um, which is normally in a darkness. Um, you can <laughs> sort of just—it's like creating a character or a persona. It's like where all the big rock men 
uh, like from the seventies end up coming from. Like for example, Robert Plant's performance, like that. Like you look at Robert Plant on stage and Robert Plant off stage, they're two different people. But like on stage, he has that sort of persona of like the the sex god, as it were. Like um, you know, I've got this voice that can go so high. I you know, I got all this power behind it. You look at Freddie Mercury, like I'm the showman. Like I can camp it up to eleven, and you will still be singing along. Uh, and again, like Aerosmith is one of those bands where, like you know, Stephen Tyler just has this energy about him that makes you still have and uh, pay attention, which is something that I think all singers strive for, but not everyone can necessarily do. I think you can do it. Uh, I would say that right now, but um, I it, it's something I think that does impact your songwriting. Because uh, if you end up going into this performative state of like, okay, well, I'm just going to show off now and see what I can do. And sort of changes the complications of the songs that you can, uh, the the um, complexity of the songs that you can write. Also, I just want to say that I love the line, help me, Juliet, because it implies that you're Romeo, as it were. Right. Because, uh, uh, you know, the ne- you know using the name Juliet will immediately guess what are you thinking of Romeo and Juliet? So, so there's this populist reading to it as well, as well as like your own personal reading of like, well, the chorus is just a pop chorus, but the verses mean something to me, as it were. Absolutely, yeah. And um, sorry, I, I've gone very, very pseudo intellectual this week. I will shut up in a bit. <laughs> hey, as you often say to me, it's a songwriting podcast. I think this is, if anywhere's the forum to do that, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like. Um, I mean, it's one of those things where. I can't even claim much credit to like the Help Me Juliet line because it was just like when I was writing and, you know, obviously I, I'd already recorded my piano part. So I was just sort of like I had that on a loop and I was just sort of like and then I had my phone memos running, you know, and then I was mm. just like improvising along with the thing. And I came up with that line, help me, Juliet. And then just when I said Juliet, I didn't know I was going to say it, but I was thinking, like, oh, that's kind of cool, because like you say, it implies Romeo and Juliet and like the story really doesn't need to end like that. Um, you know, mm. obviously, like these terrible tragedies, these star-crossed lovers, and it's like t- t- having a different take on that. But it also kind of made me think. Um, after the fact, I was listening to Elliot Smith last night. He said this w- one thing about songwriting once, which I, I really like. He was like, uh, "Lyrics can be," I'm paraphrasing. Lyrics can be treated as sort of one half of a conversation. So you're not giving ev- everyone all the facts, the listener all the facts, but you're presenting a few like um, statements which people can fill in the blank. And not only fill in the blank, but actually fill in their own personal narrative, you know? Mm. Like, if you're not given the fact of like, uh, I don't know, like uh, say, say I wrote a song about me and, and somebody I know, you know, there wouldn't be much wiggle room for somebody listening to go, Oh, this reminds me of my relationship with my my partner or something, you know? Yeah. It's the difference of being, like, ultra, ultra personal and speaking from truth, but keeping it open enough that it's still applicable to other people. Like, there are, there are very few lyricists who I know can do the former. Like, um, for example, James Vecchalotti from Defavana, I think, is one of the few people who can pull off ultra-specific references to his hometown and, like, to people that he's known and keep it really open and accessible but most people tend to fall in the latter camp which uh or most successful people tend to fall in the latter camp which you know it keeps it truthful but then it also does allow you uh like to 
leave the gaps for other people to fill in the conversation, which is why songs can hit people differently. Mm, mm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, th- I think those ultra-specific references um, are so, such a cool thing to do. It's actually something I wish I could do a bit more of. Because when it's done right, um, I've, you've shown me some stuff from Def Havana with his, his lyricism, and I just, I just love that stuff. But uh, but also it's just a case of for me um, on the you know the other end of the or other side of the coin I guess you could say um, it, you have to kind of play up or I have to play up some elements of my lyrics sometimes just because you know um, if you tell the absolute truth about something perhaps it's not actually as interesting of a lyric but if you kind of romanticize something I remember Prince said that when he made his first album um, you know he was just this shy teenager you know but he said I wrote that album the lyrics to that album as if i'd been with every woman in the world when i hadn't you know and i think Mm. sometimes playing that up allows you a bit more creative freedom i suppose well it's like you were talking about earlier performativity it's like this creative persona that is now singing your songs like it extends from just being like this vocal talent or this mindset you get into into the subject matter like you said for prince like um uh the sort of character of the early prince like you know uh essentially another sex god but like you know the person who has slept with every woman in the world (laughs) really fits what he is good at uh vocally yes yes exactly so like one really begets the other it really does yeah and uh i mean prince is amazing you know i'm a big prince fan and he just found that combination because that's the thing isn't it it's like i think as a songwriter um sometimes we forget that well I, i forget sometimes that people like prince and David Bowie are songwriters. We think of them sometimes as just the the icon, you know. But I think a big part of of everyone's journey as a songwriter is to find out the combination of things that works for them. The combination of oh, this genre seems to work for me. This musical, uh, sorry, lyrical theme, um, and then also like you were saying with the performative element of how do you actually deliver that? Are you showing off quite a bit, or are you quite you know subdued like Elliot Smith was? Um, it's what it's working out the most appealing yet authentic version of yourself that you can present as art. Yes, exactly. That's the thing because it is that balance, isn't it? I think if you're, you know, like I was saying before with, with my lyrics, like if I just tell the truth, there's no real performative element to it, and there's not much like to go. Oh, that's exciting, you know. But at the same time, you don't want to kind of be too pretentious or. Or, like, pretend you have a life you haven't. There has to be some middle ground. And even in songs that you've written which are based on real events, things like, for example, Oliver the Night Clerk, which you can hear on a previous version of this, uh, previous episode of the song podcast, I can't tell you which episode you'll have to go hunting, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> like, although there are references to what really happened and everything, it is more about the extrapolation of a greater emotional feeling within yourself that maybe you weren't necessarily feeling at the time but is still true to, like, your thoughts and feelings and opinions and everything. Absolutely. I mean, and there's, there's also the other thing of, like, um, you know, I don't have a big listenership. I make music because I like making music and my, my friends and my family hear it. So um, I have a small circle of people who might hear my songs and, you know, I don't want to lay out every single detail with, with names and details and stuff like that because, I mean... You know, songwriting's cathartic, and I don't want um, something to be so honest that it hurts somebody's feelings or makes them second-guess themselves when that's not my intention. So I think just on, like, a personal level in my life, 
I do sort of obscure my lyrics to some extent, just so that not only are they like lyrically a bit more interesting, perhaps, but but yeah, just so that people are not <laughs> directly referenced. See, this is why you write songs about dead bad singers who can't come after you anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Talking uh, as we weren't of the music in this song, I really like the feel and tone of it. It feels kind of like Randy Newman mixed with Motown, which you only pointed out the latter to me as we were um, listening to it. Uh, <laughs> how how did this? Was there any like big idea that sort of pushed you in that direction, or was it just something that sort of evolved as you sat down at the piano? Because you haven't written a piano song for a while. I haven't. Um, the the reason for that is because um, I haven't got ready access to a piano. I mean, obviously, the first question that might come to mind is, "What have we just heard Preach. in the song?" Um, but uh, yeah, um, but I have this like MIDI piano. And it's not ideal. It's like I have to kind of like get out this keyboard and anyway, all that aside, I don't have a piano to hand. But as far as like what triggered the music of it, um, this is pretty um, typical of what happens when I sit down at a piano. It's in C major, you know, no, no clever um, key choice going on there. I'm playing, I am playing non-diatonic stuff, so there's black notes, but it's largely just playing the white notes of the piano. Um, I think because I wasn't writing lyrics and I kind of chose that I wouldn't write, li write lyrics at the same time, I allowed myself a bit more of a freedom to be like, let me play something a bit faster, something a bit more um, upbeat, which I could produce into something a bit more rocky or something like that. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just kind of what came out. I mean, it's just... Uh, there's like this inversion um, on the, on the verses. The verses go um, C E minor F. So it's like kind of chunks of like ding 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 like that rhythm. So it's like C E minor F, and then it goes uh, D minor F G E seven G sharp diminished A minor. Ooh, diminished. Yeah. Well, again, it's kind of like last week, like the uh, G. G sharp diminished is sort of the upper extension or the upper part of the E7 chord. It's kind of E7 without an E. Um, and then A minor, D minor, G. So it's kind of like a, a rotation around the circle of fifths at some points, um, which I, I'm trying not to do that all the time, but it's, it just sounds so cool. Yeah, <laughs> if it sounds so cool, why give it up now? <laughs> exactly. Um, and I again, I... Um, Referencing Andrew Stolp, as I seem to be doing a lot recently, just that thing she said... Do we of, want to do a full-on plug at some point? <laughs> <laughs> Andrea Stolp on Instagram, follow her. She's She gives out daily songwriting tips. She's very good. Um, sounds like I'm being paid to say that. I'm not. Yeah. Tell her the weekly song podcast sent you. <laughs> and then watch as she bans you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yeah we got, there's a poster up in her office of you and I. And... <laughs> Wanted for crimes against music. <laughs> But yeah, she was just saying, like, um, don't allow what you think are cliched ideas to stop you from, like, writing songs that are quite, you know, unique to you. So, um, you know, like I say, this is typical of what I play when I sit down at the piano just to goof around, really. It's kind of interesting you say that, because I was so worried once uh, on my week's song. Like, obviously, I had that vocal melody to start with. But when I worked out the chords were basically E, G sharp minor and F sharp minor, which were like one, two and three, I was just thinking like, is this it? Do I right. continue? And sort of you do have to think, no, hold on. Like there is worth to this. Let's push on through. Like just because we say it all the time, like we try and avoid writing things like one, four, five songs because we do a songwriting podcast. 
but like if you do write a song that's just got one four and five in them that that's not a bad song tons of fantastic songs have been written with one four and five just yeah. because it sounds like what's been done before doesn't necessarily mean that you're copying or like the, the song has no value Absolutely. I mean, for me, for me, I don't know if you're the same as me, but I fall into this trap of thinking like if I put a one, a four and a five together, you know, in, in the example of C major, C, F, G, um, there's part of me which just thinks, oh, I'll just abandon it. But actually, I, I'm going to write a different song with C, F and G than you would. Even if we have the same rhythm and the same genre, even, we're going to do different things melodically, rhythmically, lyrically, um, so that by the end of writing even a very simple song... We're going to end up with such different results because we're different people, different writers. Hmm. Indeed. Um, but but yeah. Anyway, um, that's kind of all I can think to say about the actual writing of this song this week. I've, like you said about yours, um, I've waffled on quite a bit about it. Um, but yeah, I think hey, it's, it's, it's enjoyable it's waffle. Okay. It's an enjoyable waffle. Said IHOP. <laughs> right, folks. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like this song. I really like want to hear like a fully 60s rock version of this uh <laughs> with like chunky 60s bass you know what i'm saying but just, oh yeah yeah and like these like really cool drums like i imagine like i can imagine bo doing really good stuff on that one yeah so could i actually um bo Payne, great drummer from boundless brothers yeah fantastic drummer um where do you see this song going forward? <laughs> I was you thinking you're the... going to say, where do you see your song in five years' time? <laughs> yeah. Where do you see your song in five years' time? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. Well, actually, I do know. Um, I, oddly for me, I've actually already started um, producing this one. I finished it on Sunday, obviously. <gasps> Then demoed, demoed the acoustic thing, which we've just heard, and I sent to you, Declan, on uh, Monday. And then I spent Monday night putting together... Um, I put down drums. It's got tambourines. Very Motown. You know, since I got that bass line, like... Which is just so Motown. I nearly dropped it because it's just so evidently Motown. Um, I've got drums, um, and I've asked uh, Tyler Larson, um, who I've worked with on a couple of songs, amazing pianist. Um, is he uh, the one who did Lost and Out of Love? Yes, he is, yeah. He is so good. He's so good, yeah. He's got such an amazing feel. So I just, I sent him, I recorded the drums um, on my laptop and then bounced that down to my tape machine and then bounced it back so it's got this lovely, like, compressed saturation. Put down a, a rough guide vocal um, and piano for him um, and then he's going to delete all the piano and vocal and then put down his own piano. And then from there, I think it's just going to be this kind of like, kind of like you were saying, 60s-ish, 70s pop rock song, basically. So I'm really excited to get the piano back because I think with him playing on it, it's just going to sound so cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that when that's done. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a, going to be a fun one. Oh, I really like that this week. Uh, yeah. Because it sort of achieves like uh, what we were setting out to do uh, like in the season of trying to write slightly more popular songs, but then also like being this sort of uh, development for you, which uh, and it, using more of your falsetto again, which I miss. Um, so, yeah, more of this. I love it. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, I definitely want to write more sort of poppy type of stuff. So, so yeah. 
So we have had this email through that says, a song that kind of fell together in a week from Jamie Doss. And he writes, Hi Roger, hi Declan. I'm a relatively new listener of the show since late 2019, and I'm in the middle of remixing and mastering a solo album I released at the beginning of 2019. While going through the songs, it occurred to me the one that kind of started it all was actually written in a week. I suppose it's a little cheaty because I hadn't specifically challenged myself, but it did go from a nifty riff to being a fully fleshed out song in a week's time. Cheers, James.
So that was calling you out. Uh, Base Fiend is the moniker, and that's by... Uh, that's Base Fiend with a free instead of an E. Ah, yes. Um, and that's uh, James Doss. Um, James, thanks so much for sending that in. Um, it's really good. It's really good. It's really well produced. Really well produced. And like we were just talking about performative vocals um, before we listened to the song, and that is just a textbook performative vocal. So strong, just all the way so through. So textbook, mate. Love it. Textbook. <laughs> Back of the net. <laughs> no, seriously, that's that's really good. Really good piece of writing. I'd be curious to know whether that was um, sort of written on an acoustic guitar first or something. Yeah, whether it started on electric or whether it like progressed upwards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always interested. To, yeah, to know that development thing. But um, yeah, really cool. Um, we should mention that uh, James Doss is can be found online on streaming platforms and that sort of thing and it's also on instagram if you search bass fiend like declan said with a three in place of an e and fiend yeah the streaming services that i was able to find just quickly on a google were amazon music uh spotify and soundcloud so if you like the sound of that head to those absolutely so that was it for this episode of the Weekly Song Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you would like your song played on the podcast, if you've got some opinions that you just want read out, uh, if you just like making up words and seeing if we can pronounce them, then why not write into us at weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, uh, you can also uh, follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, all the various podcast services, anything of access to an RSS feed, basically, and engage with us there in the various ways that people engage with podcasts i have no idea about the 21st century help me please um uh where can they find your music roger spotify uh apple music amazon all the streaming services uh a good place to follow me as well is uh instagram where i post a lot of sort of uh work in progress stuff uh videos and photos of of writing but also home recording as well i've been recording um a number of different albums recently so that's a good place to kind of keep up and uh, also just reach out a message as well like you know i always like to kind of meet new people and um and have a bit of a chat so so that's me and uh where can people find uh, your music declan uh currently i have a facebook page declan kitchener music uh and i have a youtube page which i've been putting up covers recently for a challenge i've been doing with my mates roger's been doing the same mm. um also, both of our musics are available on Bandcamp, and the day that this episode is released is Friday the 5th, which is actually Bandcamp Friday, which means that basically Bandcamp are dropping their share of the revenue that they would make, and all the money that would be made goes to an artist. So what we're saying is it would be really pretty super is if, if you like our music uh, and you're listening on Friday the 5th, why not go and buy some stuff from us now? Uh, there is at least 20 records from Roger, uh, some of which are free, so you can get a bit of a taster, and then some of which cost money, but they are fantastically well-produced, and I highly recommend them. I cannot recommend them highly enough. Uh, there we go. I said the same sentence twice. And then there's my little EP as well, which is uh, his there. Um, it's really good, really well-produced, and uh, if you like good, well-written rock music, then uh, definitely check then out. Then you're looking in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Um, should also point out that the Weekly Song Podcast does have its own Instagram, which is run by Roger, and a YouTube, which is run by me, uh, which will explain the various amounts of content that you see on either of them. <laughs> uh, I think that's about it, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. Other than to say thank you so much for listening, and uh, I hope this has been enjoyable. 
Yeah, fingers crossed. Otherwise, you've just wasted about an hour of your life. (laughs) (laughs) I just stopped saying things like this on the podcast. (laughs) Right, but we genuinely do appreciate every single listen. And uh, we shall see you, hopefully, for another listen again next week. So, ta-ra. Ta-ra.